Diane, as promised, we've arrived in Twin Peaks and found suitable rooms in the Great Northern. Its most distinguished feature is the amount of dead animal parts on the walls. Heads, hooves, I think I even saw a hind leg. Just one leg jutting out of the wall. It's like Americans aren't just content to kill an animal, they have to mount them as some kind of warning to the rest of the forest. The investigation has met with little success so far. The entire town is filled with potential suspects and outright crazy people. If only Laura Palmer had been killed by a log, we would have this case wrapped up in no time. As it stands, the only thing we can be sure of is that Laura Palmer was not who she seemed to be. We have the records of Agent Cooper's interrogations of her boyfriend, Bobby Briggs, and the young man she was having an affair with, James Hurley. Also, her psychiatrist, Dr. Jacoby raised an eyebrow with his wardrobe, if nothing else. Side note, Diane. And I ask this not just as an investigator, but as a human being. What is that buzzing noise coming from Bo's room next door? It's a low hum, as if he's continually shaving himself with an electric laser. The sound only stops when he sleeps. And even then I can hear him shouting a name. You've received numerous requests for reassignment and I can only hope it's soon. The only thing worse than that buzzing sound is perhaps an answer to what it is. Takashi Miike! Drop it! Duncan and both come correct. Hey everyone, it's your old pal Bo here. I'm with one Duncan McLeish. Hi everyone. And we are about to jump into episode two, or as Duncan calls it, Episode one of Twin Peaks, season one. Uh, first of all, thanks to everyone who listened to uh, the first episode and and gave some feedback and all that stuff. Um, and yes, in response to some of the feedback, this episode will not be nearly as long as the first one. <laughs> but we had business to tend to. <laughs> in fairness, this one is a lot shorter. Yeah, yeah, half half the length. So yeah, and we're not talking about uh, our our initial impressions of Twin Peaks or anything like that. We're gonna get right to the meat of it, Duncan. No, no screwing around here. We're mm-hmm. gonna talk about this episode, which is man. You know, every time I sit down to watch one of these episodes to to record for the show, uh, I'm just reminded again how much I love Twin Peaks. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, like coming into this episode as well, that's a strong, we we said it ourselves, very, very, very strong debut. I mean, it, movie length is to get you in, it's to give you a lot of information, a lot of detail, introduce you to a ton of characters, set the, the kind of, the plot, kind of, <laughs> for where season one's going to go. Um, obviously, the like we said, the David Lynchpin um, being the murder of of Laura Palmer and this kind of the investigation into it and how pretty much everyone's a suspect um at this moment in time there are certain people that are certainly higher up the the list of potential suspects but everyone at the moment is a suspect and we've found it very quickly that we are only just learning um this is the tip of the iceberg as to who exactly Laura Palmer was, because uh, this the kind of homecoming queen image that she has 
Um, it's certainly not indicative of some of the stories that have started to come out. So moving forward, these episodes uh, will be a lot shorter. Um, that doesn't mean there's not going to be a huge amount of things to talk about because this one just answers some questions, raises a whole hell of a lot more. Yeah, and this is where we really start to peel back some of the layers of what's going on in Twin Peaks. Like like you said, we, you know, we got plenty of setup in in episode one, so we know kind of who these characters are, but uh, Duncan, I would argue that Twin Peaks is about nothing if not shifting perspective and expectations. Mm-hmm. And we are going to uh, to begin here in... <laughs> What I like to call uh, the uh, the the official lair of Agent Dale Cooper, uh, which is his <laughs> motel room at the Great Northern. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we start off with uh, him dictating once more to Diane, talking about the accommodations. Um, and it's the thing that's kind of tough to convey about these scenes is that doesn't sound like it's terribly compelling. Uh-huh. You know, and there's not a lot of plot detail in terms of pushing the the story forward or anything like that. But Twin Peaks is all about you know the kind of moment to moment enjoyment of the show. And any time you have Agent Cooper dictating to Diane and just musing about life, I'm on board, Duncan. Yeah, I think it's it's us peeking into the, the great thing about the show as well is it allows us the opportunity. I said this in the previous episode that David Lynch really likes to do this. This is this is a town. This is a you know this is suburbia or whatever it is he does in these movies. But these are these people, and superficially these people are like this, and then we get to peek behind the door to see what these people are actually like. And this show spends a lot of time like either following a character doing mundane things or really giving you a sense of what that person is like and i would say that the the scenes that best sum up who agent cooper is as a as an individual or as a character are done through his his uh, dictations to to diane or just the moments he's by himself whether it's he's hanging upside down um I don't know, that's like a fitness thing, I think. Because all the blood rushes to your head, it makes you think clearer. Or, I yeah, don't know. I, I, th- I, I think, think that's... that's yeah, I think that's what he's getting at. He's doing the, the vertical thinking. Yeah, uh, so you... Like, is it by, like we, the more you get to know of Agent Cooper, um, the more you realise we spoke about before, like, he's like... Um, he's almost like an alien who's experiencing all these things for the first time. So, <clears throat> every everything he drinks everything he eats is just wonderful and magnificent and you know awe-inspiring and he's he's full of wonder but that kind of belies this really sharp intellectual mind and we get a lot of that through his conversations with diane so whilst that might seem like you know it's just a the like to describe a lot of scenes in twin peaks doesn't do justice to how engaging they are um and yeah, we, we, I love these these moments because he covers, like I said before, sometimes I, I feel like Diane, Diane is almost the audience um, and he's quickly catching you up with what he thinks is happening. But at other times, it's just great to sit back and take all that in. And uh, they're great ways, they're a great way to, to, to kick off the episode, considering the previous episode, 
kind of finished in a not too dissimilar way with him kind of dictating to Diane as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're kicking right in. We're at the Great Northern Hotel. It has fantastic rates, uh, which um, our, our sheriff uh, sorted out for him, Sheriff Harry S. Truman. Um, so, yeah, well, let's, let's, let's get into this, Bo. I can't wait. Episode right. number one so, to technically one. <laughs> In his gravity boots, which I believe is what those are called. <laughs> um, once he gets done dictating, like, you know, here's what the room, Sheriff Truman promised me it would be clean and have reasonable rates. It certainly is. That bathroom looks good. Hot water. Water pressure's great. And he's about to get on with his day, has, has signed off with Diane, then clicks record again because he's not done. He's not done. Because he says, and I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me, listeners, for those of you who have memorized Twin Peaks cover to cover, <laughs> but it's something to the effect of, Diane, I ask this not just as an agent of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, but also as a human being. Two questions. What was the relationship between the Kennedys and Marilyn Monroe, and who really pulled the trigger that day? Yeah. And it's a totally random thing, but I love that. Like, Agent Cooper had to break from whatever else he was thinking about to be like, you know what? We, this is a question that we need to address eventually, and I need to make an, a special note of it. Uh, I love it. Uh, it's how his mind works. I yeah. think that's what's great about it. You get, like I say, you get these, you get this idea of how his mind, his mind is always working on something. He's always churning something over, like like a great detective. He's always got questions on something. It just so happens that in the case of Agent Cooper, sometimes his questions go in directions you wouldn't expect. Like, you need to tell me the name of these trees you have up here. Yeah. You know, there's a dead body on the table. Um, you know, these sort of things. And it is it's very, very, very funny. Yeah, it's the, let me, let me stop you in the hallway and talk to you for just a second. Um... So once uh, once he has established that he is uh, very curious about the Kennedy assassination and the potential involvement of Marilyn Monroe, uh, he goes down to the uh, the restaurant in uh, in the Great Northern to have himself a, a cup of coffee, which it turns out Duncan he finds to be a damn fine cup of coffee. He does indeed. He do. I love the, the the picking up the coffee, the the fact he won't let the woman leave. He's like, yeah. oh, 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 oh. Yep, stop, and then brings it in, small sniff of the coffee, big taste, and then the big smile on the face. And if you don't mind me saying, then excuse me, this is a damn fine cup of coffee. Yeah, the, his whole Thrill. ordering of of his breakfast. An, <laughs> an, another moment I really love because he's ordering uh, what two uh, two eggs over hard, and he says, "I know, I know, it's bad for the arteries, but old habits die hard." As hard as I want those eggs. Those eggs. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, God. And and this, it, it, worth pointing out, this episode was also written by uh, Mark Snow and uh, David Lynch, just like the pilot was. And man, can you ever tell it. It is just chock full. And as he's ordering, another, because David Lynch is involved, so we got to throw in a sex joke. Yes. So he he's ordering his breakfast, and he says, also, I want some grapefruit juice. But only if those grapefruits pause, in comes Audrey Horn slinking towards the table. <laughs> and he says, are freshly squeezed. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm no, uh, I'm no writer, Duncan. You uh, are a writer, though. Oh, right. But that is, <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, 
a a, a died in the wool boob joke if ever I saw one. Of course, of course, and the, the way Audrey Horn uh, is dressed as well, and the way the camera kind of follows her, yeah, those grapefruits are tits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, of course, I think we've established that this show is pro Audrey. Oh yeah, oh god yes, god yes, love any time Audrey Horn. We spoke about it before. Audrey gives me the horn bow. Uh, in, indeed, she does. All of us, in fact, receive the horn, man or, or woman alike. Um, <laughs> you know, I almost took the the show X right off the bat, and uh, I'm going to pull away from it. But uh, I'm going to pull out, Duncan. You know what I mean? Oh, oh no, boy. We're gonna we're gonna pull out, and instead, we're going to deposit our analysis on the the back or stomach. Oh uh, no, boy! I don't stop it, Duncan. Um. <laughs> so, Agent Cooper and Audrey Horn uh, sit down to uh, to breakfast together. Well, she's not eating, but um, and they have a conversation where Audrey is clearly flirting with him to beat the band. Yes, and you know, you know, there's a brief discussion of Laura Palmer, and 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 Audrey says, you know, I. I, I didn't really know her, but I always liked her because she was good to my brother, who is a weirdo. And not weirdo, he's mental, mentally challenged. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have established the, the baseline of Audrey is into Agent Cooper. Agent Cooper doesn't seem to necessarily think that's such a terrible thing because uh, he, he's flirting back with her a bit. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, the thing that's weird about it is Audrey is still in high school, right? Technically? Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, that's weird. Mm-hmm. But, all right. Um, I mean, I get that's, it. It's one of the things that I find really interesting about this show is the, the almost kind of voyeuristic sexuality attributed to these high school girls like essentially like the further the story goes on as well like the, this particular episode and the next episode we start to get there's a there's a clear kind of look at and i think it's it, it more focuses on not necessarily how it's directed but or, or even how the story is written but this idea of what you know this kind of seedy underbelly of of twin peaks and audrey horn we've spoken about before she's essentially an anarchist in, in like kind of 1950s get up but she is as a character very very fascinating and the, the fact that we have this interaction between these two in that way <clears throat> is I mean it's interesting to watch but at the same time mildly disturbing it is there there is an element of uh, you know I mean it's not exactly statutory rape I mean, I, I guess it would be technically under the letter of the law, but um, it is, yeah, there there is kind of a casual attitude towards these underage girls all throughout the show. You know, mm-hmm. like nobody sees it as particularly strange that um, Audrey would be flirting with, with Agent Cooper. And, you know, as the show goes on, we'll get more into that relationship and, and their back and forth because uh, mm-hmm. it is pretty wonderful. Like... I like both of those characters individually. You put them in the same same scene together, and I'm I'm in heaven. <laughs> um, <laughs> they dance just like angels, Duncan. Um, mm-hmm. So 
uh, Agent Cooper heads to uh, the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department, uh, where everyone is engaged in donut eating. Oh, the donuts look amazing. <laughs> it's well, not only do they look amazing, but everyone is cramming as much donut into their mouth as possible. Yeah, he, I love how he walks through, and he, everyone he sees is eating donuts. And then when he comes across uh, Sheriff Truman, he walks in and goes, "Ah, three for three. And the sheriff's yeah. like, "What?" <laughs> well, it, well, the sheriff can't talk because his mouth is full of donut. And so Agent <laughs> Cooper just kind of lays some information on him, and then says, "Harry, I'll be right back. I have to urinate." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love Agent Cooper so, so much. Uh, but, all right, let's get down to some serious business. We, we've got a murder to solve, Duncan. Yes, we do. And now let's, let's talk about some clues. Uh, because we have the official report mm-hmm. on the death of Laura Palmer. Yes. Uh, Dr. Hayward. Donna's father, uh, who is, as he puts it, he is, he is the man who um, delivered Laura Palmer. Yeah, which is, it's lines like that as well that remind you that it's a small town in America, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, these are all, these people are all interconnected. Uh, mm-hmm. And particularly someone, like, Dr. Hayward seems like an all-around great guy. Yeah, definitely. And, and having him describe the the condition of Laura Palmer that led to her death, um, which was she was uh, she was cut multiple times that she she died from bleeding out, mm-hmm. uh, and it was from no single wound. It was a, a number of wounds, and there were bite marks on her body, mm-hmm. including her own tongue, which was probably self inflicted. Which I think is one of the more gruesome details. Yeah, and. More uh, sordid, I suppose, is that she is found to have been uh, involved in sexual relations. Re- relations. I got all all, all higgledy piggledy here, Duncan. Let's get <laughs> uh, uh, but she was involved with three different men sexually the night on of the her night. Murder. Yeah. yeah, on the night of. So not just overall, just on the night she had sex with three, at least three different men. So, Yeah, and uh, poor Renette Pulaski is still out of her mind. Uh, mm-hmm. But the doctor concludes that, yes, they were probably attacked by the same uh, individual or individuals. Yes. And that one of the reasons that she is having this sort of dissociative episode is that she probably witnessed the murder and is is just kind of psychologically shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we have more clues. Laura Palmer, certainly not, you know, the sweet and innocent girl next door that we have perhaps been led to believe based on these findings. But, yeah, you know, uh, and they're, they asked for toxicology reports and those are, are not in yet, so we don't know if she was doing drugs. But, you know, I mean, Duncan, she had a baggie of cocaine yeah we're gonna assume that she was i i think that is probably proper safe yeah that's a safe assumption but yeah once again like as we follow through this investigation we start to realize very very quickly like we've already learned some things the drugs um particularly from the the previous episode and now you know 
three different sexual partners in one night. Um, Laura is maybe not the person that people thought she was. Yeah, and there, you know, that is certainly a recurring theme throughout the show, and, and we've mentioned already on this episode the idea of, hey, in small town America, you may think you know people, but maybe you really don't. Yeah, and and I think you know Donna is in that camp. I mean, this is a bit of a digression. Donna's not in this scene or anything, but you know, Donna in particular is someone who thought she was very close to Laura, and um, you know, these revelations I think are. Uh, surprising to her for sure although she knew that her friend was troubled Mm -hmm. Um, but let us leave the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department Duncan to go to the Johnson household oh this sounds like it's going to be fun well it'll be a fun like the Johnsons they sound like a nice couple they are I mean their name is Johnson Duncan they're the kind of people that are going to bring you a bunt cake yeah I can't wait to go for dinner at the Johnsons Bo Uh, Shelly and Leo um, just lovely people. Strong American names. Yep, Shelly and Leo Johnson. Shelly Johnson, uh, if listeners will remember, is the waitress at the uh, was it the Double R? I keep forgetting the name of the cafe. Yeah, um, she's currently currently in a uh, um, having an affair with Bobby. Yep, that horrible fucking teenager who barks like a dog when he's trying to threaten someone. Yep, who was also boyfriend of Laura. That is correct. And mm-hmm. yeah, so it always, you know, I mean, I think this is just kind of a guy thing, but it is kind of funny that he is all up in arms about the idea that Laura was cheating on him when he was clearly having an affair for some time with someone else. Yeah. Um, that's what we call a double standard here in the old US of A, Duncan. I don't know what crazy word you have for it in the UK, but. Um, a double standard, Paul. <laughs> ah, perfect. <laughs> Uh, or hypocritical. So, hypocritical, maybe. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that works too. Um, you th- you were hoping I was going to say Ben Laurie, didn't you? I, <laughs> you know, I, I was actually uh, talking with someone recently, and uh, the word Laurie came up in in yep. and th- because they were asking me what in the hell is a Laurie, and I was like, it's a truck. You just have to go with it. Um. But uh, he was equally surprised and, and I think a little offended. And I think <laughs> I think we could all relate uh, here in, on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, but getting back to the, the, the Johnson family, um, who, are, who are lovely, lovely people, uh, as we've seen already. Um, Leo is maybe outside of Catherine Martell, maybe the biggest jerk on the show. I would agree with that. He's uh, he's essentially he's the classic sort of abusive partner. He's very controlling, like super controlling. Um, is constantly of the opinion that Shelley is doing something that she shouldn't with someone that she shouldn't. Um, we are going to find out more about him later on in this episode in terms of what he's involved with. Um, and we also know that Shelley had you know, found something belonging to him uh, that we're going to get into um, in, the, in, you know, in the previous episode. And he is... We kind of think, you know, like, we think the abuse is just purely... From what we've seen before, the abuse is on the lines of verbal 
Um, we very, very quickly find out that that is not the case. Um, and what this show once again does, like, we get a lot of goofy shit in this show, where it was, like we said before, people cramming donuts in their mouth. And then in the next scene, we're talking about Laura having sex with three different men. And in this, you know, like, we, we very quickly, the the tone of the show can go from lighthearted to incredibly dark very quickly. And this scene is one of the more uncomfortable ones. Yeah. Well, again, because Leo Johnson is jerk of the universe. Yeah. You know, it's him. He's at a, at his truck. Shelly comes by to say like, Hey, I'm about to go to work. Just saying goodbye. And, uh, Leo says, did you do the laundry yet? And, and she's like, yeah, Leo, I did the laundry. And he goes, all of it. And she's like, yeah, Leo, I did all the laundry. And he's like, no, you didn't. And then hands her a bag of laundry. Yeah, which is such a prick move to do. Right. You know, the way to approach that situation is, hey, Shelly, love of my life, I have some extra laundry. Would you mind doing it? That's yeah. that's the way to, to treat a woman, Duncan. Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot I had additional clothes that need needed washed. I kind of hope that you haven't already done the washing, but if you have, could you put this in a separate wash for me, please? Thanks. Thanks. You, you know what? It's so nice and refreshing that we are equal partners in this relationship. I, <laughs> <laughs> I really want to do couples therapy for the Johnsons now. <laughs> Tell me about the mother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shelly, let's do a little role play. You be Leo and Leo, you be Shelly. Now, Shelly, sock Leo in the jaw. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's like, we, we build what I love about this this scene is this is the, we've already, it's the escalation. So previously it was talking about cigarette butts. Now it's talking about laundry, where this episode will go in terms of the next step on the, 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 the relationship um, downward spiral, so to speak, is, is pretty horrible. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're like, what the fuck is Leo's problem? Why is he speaking to his wife like that, or girlfriend? Um, why is she still with him? And, you know, so she starts going through the laundry, and as she goes through the laundry, she finds a, a shirt belonging to Leo, which happens to have what we can only assume is blood on it. Yeah. And she very quickly hides the shirt. She does indeed. She is not entirely convinced because obviously everyone in the community is aware of the murder of Laura Palmer. Yep. And I don't think Shelley is the kind of woman who, uh, as Tammy Wynette would suggest, will stand by her man. <laughs> I think it's more like, oh, my husband, who is a bit of uh, a, a hothead, to say the least. Um, is it totally out of character for him to have potentially killed Laura Palmer? Maybe this is a piece of evidence. Uh, so yeah, she she hides the shirt, um, which works out for everybody, Duncan, as we'll oh, see. Oh, everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. <laughs> nothing, right. nothing bad will come from this scene. Nothing bad. No, no. It's just, in fact, we never talk about it again. Um, but uh, all right. So we now have lit the fuse on on that uh, some some potential between... Uh, Leo and Shelley Johnson, but we return back to uh, the sheriff's department where now that we've concluded with Dr. Hayward, we have brought in James Hurley, uh, the secret boyfriend of uh, one of the secret boyfriends, uh, as it turns out, according to the coroner's report. 
um, of Laura Palmer. Uh, he is the the guy that Donna is you know was sneaking around with in the last episode. Uh, the one that Bobby and Meat uh, barked at, mm-hmm. and James is. You know, he's sort of that rebel without a cause character. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. That's actually really good. Even the way he dresses is very James Dean. So, yeah. And, you know, so Agent Cooper is talking to him and, and, and it presents him with the tape uh, of the picnic and says, you know, hey, you recorded this. And, and James Hurley, uh, James does not deny that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, yes, I, I was there. And, and, Agent Cooper even says, like, you know, you loved her. You were having this secret relationship with her. And then he he says, did you ever do cocaine with her? Uh-huh. And James says, no, I try to get her to stop. And then they talk about the last night uh, of Laura Palmer's life and where James was when, when all this happened. And he tells the same story to Agent Cooper that he told to Donna in the previous episode, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, the night of Laura Palmer's death, they were together. Uh, she was she left her house about nine thirty, uh, a little after midnight. They were at the intersection of Sparkwood and Twenty One, mm-hmm. and Laura Palmer uh, gets off the the back of the bike, runs away, and James never sees her again. Yep, and he is clearly broken up about it. Uh, he he claims, you know, we weren't. We weren't arguing, but she had told me that she can't ever see me again, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty clear to me, at least, that James, it, he seems like the unlikeliest of suspects, because he seems genuine. He does, yeah. I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, everything we've seen of that character thus far has been chivalrous. So it's very difficult to, unless it's a red herring bull, but you know, I mean, every, everything we've seen of this character has been the sort of guy that's tried to do the right thing. Um, and is constantly looking out for people um, or looking out for his friends. And whilst he, he was having like a secret relationship with Laura, um, and you still get that impression that he was he was being very gentlemanly about the whole situation. Um, and of course, that's gonna that's gonna eat away at a guy like that. That you were the the knight in shining armor, so to speak, and the 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 damsel in distress runs away and then dies. <clears throat> that's gonna that's gonna take a you know that's gonna gnaw away at you, which it clearly is with, with James. James is is taking it harder than Bobby took it, um, or Bobby has taken it because he didn't seem overly concerned about anything because like we found out when Agent Cooper said in the previous episode he never really loved her uh, and he didn't he didn't and we find out and a little bit here what was going on with the relationship between Bobby and Laura yeah I, and and Bobby I think is kind of a, a, a good example of a textbook narcissist kind of guy uh, yep. where he is not it, like he's more offended that Laura was stepping out on him than the woman that he loved was betraying him or anything. It's, yeah, uh, more more of a uh, a personal affront than it is an emotional attack, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But the other big detail that we get in this scene is that uh, Agent Cooper asks him about the the necklace, where the other half of the necklace is. 
the you know the heart necklace, and we do a quick flashback. And God bless him, James is polite. I think mm-hmm. I, I believe him to be honest, but he's not necessarily what you would call a, a rocket scientist. <laughs> be- because we get a flashback where. Where he's with Laura, and and Laura says, "You know why I'm so happy right now, uh, James?" And he and his response is basically because you're so pretty. <laughs> uh, I think the way he puts it is like because your skin's soft and you smell good, which is maybe even dumber than because you're pretty. Yeah, and she's like, "No, dummy. Um, how do I put <laughs> this uh, in a way that you can understand?" Um, <laughs> I believe that you love me now, so we're good. And he's like, okay, Laura, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) James. Yeah, well, you know. So James, uh, like, Agent Cooper says, hey, what happened on the night of uh, of February 5th? What's what's that all about? And they come back to James, and James is like, oh, no. Um, And they're like, all right, we we can cut you loose, James. You're... It's probably time for a nap and some graham crackers, so we're gonna let you go. Oh no, that, you know that, that this is the, these are the moments of these podcasts that just make me feel a little bit uncomfortable that we have now essentially changed James's voice and given them a new persona, which people that now watch this show will never be able to look at in the same way. And I blame you, Bo. <laughs> I blame this is on your shoulders. I'll, you know what? I'll accept it uh, <laughs> because the further we get into the season, I don't think James necessarily gets any smarter. It doesn't. No, you, you kind of you kind of feel like you should maybe in, in between the scenes pick up a book. Same. I well, assuming he can read, and I'm not totally oh. sold on that. Bo, what? You're a bad man. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know what the educational system is like in Twin Peaks. And, and well, G- this is true. And James uh, really appears to be hanging around, uh, hanging around with uh, you know his motorcycle more than anything else. So he does. He does. And. That's, as Dr. Seuss once said, motorcycles are terrible teachers, Duncan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that phrase. Yeah, it's it, it was, uh, oh, oh, the places you'll go. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're, we're kind of done with James. We do a brief uh, trip back to the Johnson household, only to see Leo in a panic because he can't find the shirt that was in the laundry bag that he gave Shelly. So clearly, yeah. he knows that he had a bloody shirt in there. He's trying I to... I would guess. Yeah. So, but I, I think he thinks that he stashed it somewhere else because he's hunting around his truck and then goes to uh, the washing machine and uh, there is no shirt inside the washing machine. So the, the shirt... Yeah. The shirt is missing, which for a guy like Leo, probably not the thing that is going to put him at ease. No, no. It's it's almost as if this shirt was covered in blood. Yes. And <laughs> once again, this is really just watching the fuse on on this <laughs> moment that's to come slowly burning. Yeah, there's a barometer beside like Leo's face every time you see him and it's slowly going up. Yeah. Like a de- like a doomsday clock is like beside a, a doomsday clock of Leo's rage is beside him. And right now it's it's not quite critical, but it's not far off it. Yeah, he he is about primed to blow. 
And and so then we move to uh, back in the jail where uh, Bobby and Mark are meet. Or, uh, I think meet is his nickname. Anyway, um, so it turns out in the course of this conversation between Bobby and Meat that. By the way, would you call me Meat from now on? Um, no, that's right. never going to handle. <laughs> you can't give yourself your own nickname. Someone else has to give you. Yeah, it's, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yep. Yum, yum. Um, <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. Uh, so Bobby and Meat are, are, are discussing Leo Johnson, and it turns out that Bobby owes Leo uh, about 10 grand. And yes. that Laura was in possession of said 10 grand, which explains the money in her safety deposit box. Mm-hmm. So he's hanging on to this cash, or she is t- hanging on to the cash for Bobby that is supposed to go to Leo. But now that she's dead, he has no access to that money. And in the as this conversation is happening, James strolls back through uh, the, the jail and gets a David Lynchian stare from oh, yes. both Bobby and me, where they just kind of crawl along the bars of the cell. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's again, it's that pack animal behavior of like we are gonna we are gonna jack this guy up. Um, and I, yeah, I like I like James. Uh, but I think Bobby is certainly the more dynamic character just because he is, he's obviously into some shit. Yeah. I think there's, there's more, there's more to that character. If you know what I mean? There's, there's more to that character. He's, he's, we've seen more sides of him already than we have of James. James looks like a fairly banal, superficial character while Bobby is there's so we've seen him already as the the kind of the, the kind of roguish lover with uh, Shelley. We've seen him, you know, in the the kind of aggrieved sort of uh, you know boyfriend whose girlfriend has died in the in the in the school. We've seen him very cleverly and very bluntly defend himself in the police station and now we're seeing this kind of pack animal mentality of aggression um in the in the jail cell so i i think he's just by far the more interesting character but we we know that they're into some money with a guy who we've already established right now has a barometer of rage beside him and that rage is getting tipped over and you know I don't think that Leo's the sort of guy that would take to the fact that he's not getting ten grand. I just, I'm just going to put that out there, Bo. Yeah. Not today, anyway. Well, especially because he is all uh, hopped up on on shirt anger. Shirt uh, anger will do that to you. Yeah. I mean, we've all felt a touch of shirt anger at one time or another, Duncan. I, oh I don't... God, you you go into your you go into your closet to to get the shirt that you really want to wear that day. It's your power shirt. You have a big presentation in front of the board. I'll just get my power shirt. <laughs> Where is my? There is no power shirt. God damn it! Someone has taken. Is it in the wash? It's not in the what? Where is the? Is it in the pile of clothes to be ironed? No, it's not there. Where is my power shirt? I really hope that I didn't leave it at the locker at the gym. And I'm not speaking from personal experience. My friend told me this happened to him. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, your friend is right, Duncan. Uh, because it ruins your day. The whole day long, you're going to be itching for a fight. 
yeah. uh, because of this shirting. is not my power shot. Yeah. So we uh, we cut uh, cut James loose. He he's free to go now. And um, Agent Cooper, Sheriff Truman uh, are at the sheriff's department, and they run into uh, Big Ed. Old Big Ed, who I <laughs> love. Uh, so I like a bad Big Ed. Big Ed, you know, he's got the bandage on his head because he got he got tatered, uh, mm-hmm. a, as they call it in in the science books, um, at the uh, at the roadhouse in the previous episode when he got he got kind of sucker punched by Bobby and Meat, and uh, so they're having a quick conversation. I also really like uh, Sheriff Truman asking him, "How's the coconut?" I think that's yep. a good way to ask after someone's <laughs> head. But uh, so Ed is, you know, saying like, you know what? I, I was kind of weak on my feet by the time I, I got there. I think I got slipped a Mickey or something. And then we, uh, Agent Cooper says, look, we're going to cut James loose. I, we don't think he he's involved, but uh, I want you to keep an eye out because James could be a target for these other kids. And, uh, so meanwhile, Agent Cooper has to take a phone call from Albert Rosenfield, who we will not meet in this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, but, uh, oh, Agent Rosenfield. Is pretty amazing. Yeah. We're only one episode away. One episode away from this guy. We are. And, uh, but Ed points out Jacques Renault was tending bar, uh, at, at the, uh, the roadhouse when he did get a little weak on his feet. And, uh, sorry, having some coffee. And Agent Cooper tells him, like, hey, uh, tells Agent Rosenfeld, rather, uh, that, hey, when you're coming up, be sure you stop uh, by the lamplighter in because you need to get some pie. <laughs> because Agent Cooper believes that everybody is uh, as enamored by food and coffee as he is. So, mm. um, which is how I imagine David Lynch being. I think that's a, a very Lynchian thing. You know, I mean, I think David Lynch is just like I, I, he's a a nice piece of pie, cup of coffee sort of guy. Who has some pie? <laughs> Best lunch is, ever is what he says. <laughs> <laughs> Bring coffee too. Um, <laughs> yeah, every episode, ladies and gentlemen, it's only going to get worse. Yes, uh, can't wait. So. Now we run into uh, the grocery store with Norma, uh, mm-hmm. the owner of the Double R Diner, and she runs afoul of Ed's wife, Nadine. Yeah, I patch. Yep, who is buying cotton balls. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this character. If, do you want to explain the cotton ball purchase? Um. <clears throat> She's buying cotton balls because she, obviously, in the previous episode, she got some new drapes bow, right? She did. And, I mean, everyone loves a new set of drapes. However, we all live in the same problem. I kind of feel like I'm doing one of these infomercials. We all live in the same world where the last thing we want to hear is a squeaky drape. No one wants to hear a squeaky drape. Do you want to hear a squeaky drape, though? Uh, of course not, Duncan. I live with squeaky drapes all the time. If only there were a way to get rid of them. Well, turns out there is a way to get rid of them. Well, there isn't yet, but she is going to invent a way to get rid of them. And part of her invention will require 
caught in balls. Yeah. And Nadine, to her credit, is eye-rolling in this scene where she's like, this woman is crazy. I cannot believe <laughs> the man I, I want to be with. The man I love. <laughs> yeah, is married to this uh, kookaburra, I think is, again, the uh, the technical term. <laughs> and so we move from there back into the police station. Now we are questioning uh, Bobby and Meat. Uh, and on the other side of the table is Sheriff Truman and uh, and Agent Cooper. And they're having a quick conversation about, like, you know, are you telling us the truth, yada, yada. And, uh, that you know, did you have time to get your story straight is what Agent Cooper asked them. Mm-hmm. And they say, we don't have to get our story straight if we're telling the truth. And Agent Cooper finally says, you know what, we're going to cut you loose. And uh, I don't think we pointed this out in the previous episode of Agent Cooper's whittling. Yes, because he says in the in the pilot, uh, you know, I'm why I'm whittling, Harry, because when you're in a town like this, whittling is what you do. Yes. (laughs) So he has whittled himself a little whistle. Mm -hmm. And right before uh, Bobby and meat are are completely released, he gives a little toot on the whistle and does a Columbo like uh, one more thing. (laughs) <laughs> she sure just one more question I got her. sorry <laughs> that's that is the best Peter Falk you've ever done I, I've been working on it though like it'll, my wife is sick of hearing me ask for things in Peter Falk's voice it you're getting there it's <laughs> it's pretty good but uh, agent Cooper does the the classic uh move of saying hey uh your pal James got released today and you better pray that nothing happens to him because if he gets harmed, we're coming for you first. Mm-hmm. So trying to put a little bit of a protective uh, wall around uh, James. And and James, as he's being released, he runs into Ed. And uh, and Ed is kind of assures him, like, hey, I got your back. You know, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. So uh, God bless him. James is uh, being protected by mm-hmm. both Agent Cooper and, and Big Ed. And, uh, you know... James, of course, is is, is like, thanks, everybody. <laughs> James doesn't understand what the word protect means. Right. Uh, so. Do I have to take off my pants? Oh. No, James, just uh, just lie down before you fall down. Um, so now we go to uh, the sawmill. Mm-hmm. And Josie Packard is having a quick conversation with uh, Pete Martell and uh, Pete, lovable old Pete, who uh, discovered the body of Laura Palmer. Um, and Josie is is thanking him for standing up for her. And, you know, he says, look, it's not a big deal. And he, and she's like, no, I, I know. Like, I know you're living with a real see you next Tuesday. Uh, and the fact that you stood up for me means a lot. I appreciate it. And further cementing the idea that both Pete and Josie Packard are probably pretty good people. Yeah. You know, I mean, her actions in the pilot of shutting down the plant because of the discovery of uh, Runnip uh, Pulaski and the death of Laura Palmer and everything. I think that paints her in a very sympathetic light. And poor Pete is just doing his level best to, you know, keep the peace between Josie and Catherine. But he's a little more on Team Josie, I think. I think so as well. 
So uh, this conversation is interrupted because Sheriff Truman and uh, Agent Cooper show up to uh, question Josie, you know, talking to everyone who uh, who knew Laura Palmer. And as we might recall from the pilot, uh, Josie Packard was getting English lessons from Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. And is also a J name. And we know that there there is a, a J name that is significant, according to Laura Palmer's diary. Yes. So... Uh, they sit down to have a chat with her. Um, you know, she says, look, I, you know, I, I, I haven't seen her recently or, you know, I saw her a while back for her classes. Um, but I don't really know anything about the circumstances of her death or anything like that. Uh, but Pete, uh, is brewing him up some coffee. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh. you know, all Josie really can say for sure is that she thought something was bothering Laura. And then uh, she remembers one thing Laura said, which was, I think now I understand how you feel about your husband's death. Mm-hmm. And, but that's all she said. She doesn't know what it was in reference to or the context of it. It was just this weird thing Laura said. And it, you know, kind of, vanishes you know it's one of those things that had she not died would have been something that Josie would never never would have remembered probably but uh, immediately like she has to leave the room for a second and immediately Agent Cooper is like so Harry how long you and Josie been you know doing the you know little and a a little auga <laughs> a little it's she sure it's just one more <laughs> the lazy the lazy fault glass eye yeah yeah that's that's what i call sex i don't know what you guys call it over there i know that's absolutely what we call it over here fox fox glass eye <laughs> the uh the hunka chunka also <laughs> the also, if I could fit in a Demolition Man reference every episode, I'll be pretty happy about that. that well. yeah, I'm sure we'll be able to do that. I'm sure we'll be able to do that. Yeah, <laughs> our mission statement for this show is getting longer and longer. As but we're trying to keep these episodes shorter and shorter. I know, I know. It, it, it's my own damn fault. Uh, but and it, all right, so Sheriff Truman basically lays out the fact that yes, I've been seeing Josie Packer, but it, it started after her husband died. I mean, there's nothing real salacious about this affair other than it's the sheriff and the woman who inherited the sawmill. Yeah. Um, you know, both of them seem to be doing what's right, but they're trying to keep it a little clandestine so that it doesn't raise suspicion or, or cause any rumors and that kind of thing. But, um, the scene uh, culminates though with Pete Martell rushing back into the room to (laughs) recall the coffee he has delivered yeah. Uh, to the sheriff and Agent Cooper. Uh, because, as he puts it, a fish found its way into the percolator. Which is weird. Yeah. Uh, and it, it there's a callback to it, but there is nothing more disgusting. Because I, I love my coffee, Duncan. I'm, a coffee I'm the same. Man. I was actually drinking coffee in the first five minutes of this recording. But I drank it very quickly and I regret drinking it as quick as I did. Oh, yeah. You're, you're probably going to get the poops. Um, that's uh, again, that comes from years of watching the show house. Uh, <laughs> so the scene is kind of interrupted by, uh, Catherine Martell, who you may know as a real see you next Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, 
<laughs> calling up Josie Packard and saying, hey, uh, I just want to let you know how much it cost to shut down the mill yesterday. And it cost about $87,000, I think is what yeah, she not, says. Yeah, not cheap. Not cheap at all. Right. And, uh, but the way she puts it is, here's what your shenanigans cost. Yep. At, which is just grist for the mill to have a, uh, Agent Cooper be awesome once more. Mm-hmm. Where she goes back into the room and says, hey, what is uh, what is shenanigans, by the way? And Agent Cooper uh, responds like, with the proper definition. Yeah, uh, it's like dictionary perfect definition. Yeah, I've I've got it written down right here. What he what Agent Cooper says is nonsense, mischief, often a deceitful or treacherous trick. <laughs> uh, which is fantastic because you know Agent Cooper is basically a dictionary on feet. Yeah, he's he's Google before Google existed. Yeah, yeah, and he kind of is. Agent Cooper is, is sort of he could be Agent Google. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so cut back to Catherine Martell, who listeners may remember as a real "See You Next Tuesday," mm-hmm. and in the the bedroom with her is one uh, uh, Benjamin Horn. Yep, Audrey's dad. Yes. And the two uh, clearly have been up to uh, the Honka Chunka. Yes, they have been doing the Peter Falk's Glass Eye. Right. And apparently this time it was rushed. So, Yeah, she's given them a little bit of the business about like, hey, what? I thought this was supposed to be a little more business and pleasure kind of thing. Yep. We used to spend all afternoon together, which makes you once again that, that line, this has been going on for a while. Absolutely. Like, she is uh, cheating on, on Pete, which... They're Pete. I, you know what? As if she weren't already enough of a jerk on this show. <laughs> uh, the fact that you're cheating on the nicest... One of the nicest guys. One of the nicest guys. Next to Sheriff Andy. This is one of the nicest guys. Deputy Andy, sorry. One yeah. of the nicest guys. Yeah. Deputy Andy is probably a little more uh, sweet and sensitive than, than Pete Martell. But Pete's a good guy. Like, if he actually accidentally puts a fish in the percolator, he is not going to let that sit. He's going to let you know. He's going to own up to it. And you can forgive him for it because he's a nice guy. Right. It's like, look, Pete obviously didn't put the fish in there on purpose. He may not have even put the fish in there himself. We don't know. <laughs> All we know is that he discovered there was a fish. He let everyone know. And then he cleaned out the percolator. I don't know mm-hmm. what more we can ask from Pete. Regarding the fish in the percolator incident, <laughs> his administration <laughs> acted swiftly and justly. <laughs> the Pete Martell administration. Oh, if only Duncan. Um, yep. What I wouldn't give for a President Martell right about now. Yeah, fishy coffee is as far as the eye can see. Yeah, mm. yeah uh, absolutely. As as, uh, as nice a guy as you'd ever want in office. Um, Mm-hmm. So, uh, they basically, we're just kind of establishing, yes, they're conspiring against Josie Packard, um, and they can't wait for her to just kind of screw up, like, closing down the plant, if you want to call that a screw-up. Yeah. 
they they want to the the time scale is not working like basically Catherine says that at this rate even with them hemorrhaging money is going to take years before they're in a position where she will actually sell the mill as you know this is not going to be a quick a quick thing and Benjamin Horn's playing a bit more kind of I was going to say hardball he's trying to pressurise things to move a bit quicker because he really wants that land Um and the talk of a potential fire comes up in the conversation. It does indeed. And mm-hmm. and then Benjamin hops back in bed because nothing uh, turns these characters on more than conspiring against friends and loved ones. Yep, it's like Viagra. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it's Hate-Agra. <laughs> Hate-Agra. <laughs> Look at my rage boner. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know C- what you're saying. Consult your doctor if your anger lasts more than four hours <laughs> speaking about anger that's been lasting for a while leo well, what's happening with leo uh you know what before we get back to leo <gasps> we've got one more pit stop to make tell me about this pit stop we've gotta go by the palmer household with donna oh yeah this is a uh, yeah Remember when we said that something a, a vision a very brief vision happened earlier we get a bit more of it in this one yeah uh, well, it doesn't make any sense at this point. <laughs> no, not at all. And even when it does make sense, it doesn't all make all that much sense. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Donna goes by to you know express condolences, and you know she was Laura's best friend and, and knew mm-hmm. knew the Palmer family and all. And so she uh, swings by to talk to Laura's mother, and. Uh, her mother's, you know, kind of in hysterics and, and Ray-wise. Because oh, yeah, like, Leland, the, the father, all he asks is just, you know, just don't upset her. <laughs> She's just calmed down. Just, you know, just don't upset her. Right. You know, just she, as you would imagine, is a bit on edge. And uh, so they're talking for a second. And then uh, Laura's mother has a uh, a vision where Laura's face is is kind of poorly superimposed on Donna's. Yeah, as the, the 90s book. Right, right. I you know, I forgive it, but it's still like, oh, that it's is bad. that's cringy. Yeah. <laughs> but she sees Laura's face and it is like, "Laura, I knew you would come back. Thank you." And then <laughs> That vision is replaced, or is supplemented, perhaps, by a vision of uh, a long, kind of silver-haired, salt-and-pepper-haired individual squatting at the foot of uh, of a bed. Uh, yeah. And she, um, again, I hate to get scientific, but I think it's called losing her shit. She loses her shit big time. I mean, like, full-on, hands at the side of the head, screaming in hysterics, right? Just, like, that one thing that Leland asked, that, you know, he, he asked for one thing. It's a simple request. Just don't upset my wife. And um, it's not that she didn't just upset her. Things get... Yeah, things go... Like, she is in full hysterics. Um... And we, we, we need to ask this question of who is this weird-looking man uh, crouched in the, the, the corner of a bed? And um, we will get an answer to that, kind of, in future episodes. Pretty so soon, we're just going to see. Yeah, yeah they, they, they cover, uh, we get his name in the next episode. So, um, But yeah, at this point, it's 
And it is weird. It's like we keep talking about weird and Lynch and surreal and all the rest, but there is something so incredibly unsettling about this. It's it's just it doesn't the scene doesn't make any sense. And that's I think that's is like a flash image of her seeing what is essentially a non-event, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? A guy crouched in the corner is not. It's, it's like I say, like if, if anyone out there has ever seen Late Mungo, Late Mungo owes heavily to Twin Peaks, and they do the same thing in Late Mungo, where in one scene they zoom in the camera at one point and crouched at the corner of a bed is the next door neighbour, um, and it's like one of the shocking revelations in the movie, and this is here as well. It's like plays off so many of these aspects. It's just weird. It doesn't, you know, like there's no. Why is she screaming hysterically? It's a vision that she's had, and all this is a guy crouched at a bed. So, but she loses it. She's she's gone. She's once again full hysterics. Let's get uh, let's get Donna out the room. Like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Get out, get out, get out. Leland now has to spend the next hour and a half to two hours trying to calm her back down, get the drugs. Um, here, have these tablets. Please lie down. Please stop screaming. Uh, and end of scene. Yeah. and it, Well, it, it's like when you have a really hyperactive dog. <laughs> and, and you're trying to keep your guests from playing with the dog too much. Because you know as soon as they leave, that dog's still going to be wound up like a fucking top for about two hours. <laughs> so you're like, yeah. look, just don't feed the dog, okay? Like, if the dog comes up to you and pet it, but don't don't antagonize the dog great now you're antagonizing the dog uh, do my tits in for the next hour thanks for that so right friend right thanks donna uh <laughs> thanks odonna <laughs> uh, oh god all right but the, the next scene duncan our big action scene uh of this episode oh god <laughs> So, uh, Deputy Hawk, is is, uh, asking... Deputy Hawk sounds like the name of the worst country band ever. Or the best. I would... Like a a Dr. Feelgood, but, like, shite. (laughs) I would give a band called Deputy Hawk certainly a day in court. <laughs> Deputy Hawk. Uh, but so Deputy Hawk is is talking to uh, Renette's parents and and trying to get a little more information, and then he notices because Deputy Hawk is fucking eagle eyed <laughs> or hawk eyed probably. Hawk-eyed. Uh, <laughs> that a one armed man is stepping off the elevator and heading away from him down the hospital hallway, which they're outside Renette's room. Yes. And Deputy Hawk, because he has the fine police skills of, uh, say, you know, maybe maybe a Columbo. I, yeah. You know, that, but also married with the, the Native American spirituality that allows him to perceive beyond the mortal realm. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he's got a line in the next episode that is one of my favorite things ever. Um, <laughs> but so Deputy Hawk sees this one armed man sh- launches into action, Duncan. Well, yeah, because he's seen the fugitive. He knows that whenever you see a one armed man, that's likely to be the killer. Exactly. So 
Uh, he sees the one-armed man moving down the corridor into uh, an employees-only. Is that what they call it in hospitals? Employees-only? Or like no admittance for the public, I guess. Employees. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that uh, if you're at a hospital, they just refer to all the doctors as, and nurses as employees. As employees. Yeah. <laughs> like, staff, staff only, maybe? Even then, yeah. that's yeah. medical I, staff only. Something like that. But so he's chasing the one-armed man into this uh, kind of uh, exclusive area of the hospital, mm-hmm. and uh, he doesn't see him. So uh, he goes to the street and he gets a glimpse of the one-armed man. And the one-armed man's getting in a car, and uh, Deputy Hawk grabs a motorcycle and starts chasing uh, the one-armed man in the car. And uh, then there's a giant car chase, except with a motorcycle. And at one point, Deputy Hawk is actually on top of buildings chasing the car. And uh, and then he finally uh, thinks he's about to catch him. And then the one-armed man disappears. You maybe have blown that slightly out of proportion. <laughs> okay. Maybe. So, so what happens is he, he follows him into a room uh, that, it, that points to the morgue and then doesn't see him. Uh, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is totally within the realm of reason that Deputy Hawk would have done that. Oh, yeah. If, if he'd seen him get in a car, he would have drove that motorcycle over buildings to get him. Of course he would have. He's yeah. Deputy Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this makes me so happy. Um, <laughs> so, back at the uh, the Horn residence, uh, uh, Audrey is once again swaying to music in the middle of a room, which is pretty much how every scene with her opens. Mm-hmm. And, and I like it. I, Never sure. change it. Yeah. <laughs> Audrey forever. Um, so her father comes in and is like, hey, uh, you know anything about what happened with the Norwegians? Because they kind of fucked off. And apparently you were the last person to see them before they mm-hmm. were all upset. And, you know, Audrey says, you know, I didn't really do anything. I went in. I was looking around a little bit. I was looking at that stupid spread you put up. And then uh, they happened to ask me why I was sad. And I told them about the brutal murder of my close friend, Laura Palmer. <laughs> and at that point, Benjamin is like, son of a bitch, Audrey. And uh, and and essentially says, look, I whatever whatever relationship we have was done years ago like mm-hmm. at this point audrey is just her father's antagonist and you know i think later on we we kind of understand why and i mean he's not a good guy we understand that right away i think audrey is kind of writing that line we don't really know uh like she is mischievous but is she truly a bad person um i think that question still remains yes i think so though yeah, so let's uh, let's hop over to the Briggs household, Duncan, mm-hmm. uh, which is Bobby and uh, his uh, his father, the Colonel. Yep, and his father has, short of the Agent Cooper ordering breakfast, maybe <laughs> my favorite moment in the episode, mm-hmm. where he very reasonably lays out like, look, I understand you're rebellious at this age. It is totally understandable. That is what you do. Uh, and he's like, look, I, I respect it, but I need you to live within certain boundaries because I am your parent and I set the rules and I understand you're going to test them because that's who you are and where you are developmentally. But 
I need you to understand that these boundaries are serious and real, and I need you to at least try to talk to me. Let me know what you're feeling. Let me know if I can help you. And he's kind of cold and analytical, but it is... It's reasonable. It, it's very reasonable. And even when Bobby doesn't respond to any of that, he's like, you know what? Silence is often the sign of intelligence. I appreciate that. Uh, you want to you wanna make a reasoned response to this? That all sounds great. And then Bobby uh, just plops a cigarette in his mouth. Yeah, we call that shit in the bed over here. Do you really like putting a cigarette in your mouth? Is shitting the no? Bed? Just just his his actions of of what he does in essence to his father's well mannered and reasoned approach. Um, uh, you know what he does is he shits the bed. He 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 causes he causes he does the thing that you should not do in that circumstance. The you know the the one thing you shouldn't do. What you should do is just remain quiet or acknowledge your father's loving analytical coldness. Um, you should not, however, take a cigarette out and put it out in your food. That's disrespectful. Um, so he shits the bed. All right, I, I'll go with you on that. We, I mean, we also use the phrase shit, shit the bed over here, but usually it just means to make, uh, you know, a calamitous mistake. But I, I guess that's the same thing. Well, that's what he does. And uh, the colonel smacks the shit out of Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Knock, yeah. Oh, knocking the, this thing. Yeah, it is a, a straight up, like, a man slap. And mm-hmm. the cigarette goes flying into his uh, Bobby's mother's uh, food, uh, which I couldn't quite identify. It looks like a patty of some kind. Meatloaf, uh, maybe? Perhaps, mm-hmm. maybe a, a like a, a tuna loaf of some sort. I love that we're focusing on this. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what this show is about, Duncan. We're answering the big questions about Twin Peaks. <laughs> this is true, this is true. And so here's another line that I I made note of because I want to get it right. Because after smacking the ever-living shit out of his son, uh, the colonel says, essentially, like, I'm a patient man, but you're really trying me. And he said, to have his path made clear is the aspiration of every human being in our beclouded and tempestuous existence. Robert, you and I are going to work to make yours real clear. Mm. It's a great line, uh, but I, I like be clouded and tempestuous existence. I, I think that is some fine dialogue. Um, so Bobby uh, is, is you know left kind of alone in his own home, but he's also kind of a jerk, and I'm I'm with the colonel on this one. Yeah, he's like he's his dad gave him every opportunity. That's the thing. I, I mean, in part, you kind of. <laughs> You can kind of see why maybe the origins of his rebelliousness is he's got a like a colonel father who is you know that household. I get the feeling that everything's like the bed's made perfectly. You can bounce a coin off it, you know that sort of thing. Um, that's the household he's grown up. So that you're as a teenager, maybe he is rebelling a bit more than he should because of that kind of authoritarian household. Um, at the same time, there is times to show like to. Um, flex those rebellious muscles and there's times not to do it and when your dad is being reasonable and giving you the benefit of the doubt now is not the time <laughs> not the time at all so yeah it's difficult to feel any sympathy for this character um and, he, yeah he shot the bed yeah <laughs> so. uh and the and the colonel i think is way more of a significant character in season two than he is in in the first season but he's still yeah. like i love that character um so 
Now we uh, rejoin Sheriff Harry S. Truman and Agent Cooper at the Double R Diner, Mm -hmm. where they are complaining a bit about the fact that they still have fish coffee. uh, Taste. (laughs) Yeah, taste in their mouths. And I want to have a a quick discussion with Norma, Norma Jennings about her knowledge of Laura Palmer. And all we know really from Norma's point of view is that Laura helped uh, organize a Meals on Wheels program, and uh, and that's kind of it. You know, that's that's sort of the the beginning and end of her relationship to Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. More significantly, in this scene, uh, Agent Cooper discovers the cherry pie. Yes, he's told that he should try the like Truman, knowing exactly what Cooper is like, tells him, you know, you really want to try the pie here. Yeah. Which he does. And yeah. he likes the pie. So much so he orders more. Yeah. <laughs> he says it's incredible. And more. the other thing that's significant about this scene is we have another encounter with the log lady who we had only previously previously seen uh, turning lights on and off and shushing people at a town meeting. Mm-hmm. And she says to Agent Cooper, uh, my log knows something about the death of Laura Palmer. Or mm-hmm. my, my log has seen something. And Agent Cooper says, well, what did it see? And she says, ask my log. And <laughs> Agent Cooper looks at the log and is like, uh, what? And <laughs> lo- the log lady is like, I thought so. And then fucks off. <laughs> and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. In, in fairness, the log lady isn't incorrect, but, uh, you know, it's sort of that moment of, like, you're not ready to to hear the log. Um, so we know for sure that that is, is eventually going to come back. But um, now we've been talking about it all episode, Duncan. How about we take a trip back to the Johnson house? Oh, yeah, the Johnsons, that lovable couple. Yeah, uh, Shelly's coming home. She brought uh, a piece of pie for Leo because, you know, she loves yeah. her man. She she will feed her man, even though her man was rude earlier on about the washing. Yeah, but, you know, it's every relationship has its ups and downs, Duncan, and misunderstandings and all that fun stuff. Yeah, she has, she has a clear plan set out for her. Her clear plan for tonight is pie, then pie vigorous makeup sex probably so you know shelly yeah. is uh if nothing an optimist yes but it turns uh, out that's not how the night's gonna go though well and we might have been tipped off by the fact that as we enter the scene leo is slipping a bar of soap into a sock yeah now if if you're if <laughs> if you're worldly um or are you you've I don't know, you've watched a lot of movies or read a lot of books. Um you'll understand the significance of this. Do you know do you do you understand the significance of this uh, soap in a sock? I, I believe it is called a GI shower. Yes, and what does it do? Do you know why? Do you know what it does? Uh well it uh it it leaves quite a mark for sure, and it basically becomes a uh, what are they called? Like a bola? You know, yeah. where you just swing it around your head like a with the weighty end of it, and yeah, yeah I mean it's for beating the shit out of somebody. It's, it's supposed to cause more damage on the inside than the outside, so like you you will have 
you know, you will have some slight bruising on the outside, but it's designed primarily for internal damage. Um, which, yeah, but as soon as I like, if like, as soon as I see the soap go in the sock, I'm like, ah, oh shit. Um, and you know, he, he starts to ask her questions about the, you know, about the shirt. Um, she, to her credit, kind of plays it off. Don't know what you're on about. You know, let's, let's calm down here. And yeah, he. he beats the shit out of her we don't get to see him thank god beat the shit out of her because once again this is still a tv show um in 1990 but you know that that sock starts getting swung like a bowler around his head and uh yeah it's uh we see the the after effects in the next episode but it's pretty bad pretty bad and yeah if, if anyone had any sympathy at all for leo left after the previous encounter is gone now he's a fucking horrible individual horrible horrible human being if only something really bad would happen to him later on in the show which we're not allowed to talk about yeah spoilers duncan uh, sorry I, I know we're not allowed to but i know where this is going and we'll get there um but let's leave the domestic violence of the johnson household uh for the hayward household where Donna and her parents are entertaining James, who is coming over for dinner. <laughs> no James impressions, don't do it. Uh, uh, Duncan, do you not give me any credit at all? <laughs> so they're, they're uh, you know, James is very polite. He's very sweet. He's, you know, all, all like, yes or no, sir. Uh, they ask him if he would like something to drink. They have some cider. And he says, I'll take fruit punch. And... <laughs> So they're like, okay, we'll get your fruit punch. Would you also like a mat to nap on? And he's like, Do you want a straw? <laughs> yeah, and he says, I can sit in the big boy seat. And no cheats. <laughs> we've ruined it, both. We've ruined it. It only took us two episodes, but we've ruined it. And <laughs> so James and Donna, you know, again, it's a very nice moment because we're we're reemphasizing the fact that the these characters there there was a scene earlier that I don't think we actually um talked about where Donna goes to her mother and and confesses that she has feelings for James and feels really guilty about the fact that she doesn't feel guilty. You know, that she she feels bad that in the loss in in the wake of of Laura Palmer's death, Donna actually is finding happiness with James, you know, against all good thinking. Um no, he's a nice guy, you know, and sometimes that's all that matters. Um, I mean, they're not going to be talking about Kierkegaard together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, in every relationship, somebody is dating up, you know? And one of the yeah. two. It's a, You never have a totally equal relationship. Somebody is always dating up a little bit. Sometimes the difference is slight. Sometimes it's Donna and James. Um, where Don, Donna is clearly going to be a successful person, and James is probably going to raise rabbits. So uh, we we move outside the uh, the Hayward household to see that Bobby and Meat have pulled up outside and are are kind of given the uh, the eye to uh, to to the house. And also, there's a switchblade, and they're cutting open a football. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of this will pay off later. Yes, <laughs> I love. Also, sometimes, and this is going to happen quite a lot, listeners. That we're going to say things, and they're going to be like, "That just seems a bit random." But trust us, 
where possible, a lot of this stuff's tied up. Yeah. But we we end the show, Duncan, uh, th- this particular episode, with one uh, Dr. Jacoby. Yeah. Now, if you remember, Cash Remains Back, this is Laura's psychologist or psychiatrist. Um, he's a snappy dresser. He, he was wearing some interesting ties. And you've got to think to yourself, if you're like me, boy, you were like that. If that's how he dresses, I wonder what his house looks like. Well, uh, it turns out, Duncan, if you thought his uh, apartment would be decorated with wicker furniture and <laughs> tropical style bed sheets that serve as drapes, as well <laughs> as a like the whole thing is tropically themed. Yes. Uh, up to and including a mural of a beach and uh, like a faux underwater kind of vibe where there are rocks it's and stars. Cheesy. It's 70s it looks like something from the 60s or 70s it, it's absolutely bizarre like if you lived in this place and someone saw it they would think that you were a mad person mm-hmm. you know either that or like it's it, it is a, a step below people who decorate their homes to look like the enterprise <laughs> because at least that is sort of a cultural phenomenon and you can kind of get behind that but this is just a weirdo that wants to look like he lives on the beach yeah. And but but more significantly, Duncan, the reason we're here in the uh, Jacoby Tiki Lounge is that he is listening to a recording of Laura Palmer mm-hmm. saying that she's in a weird mood, Duncan. Uh, she is in a weird mood. And that she's nervous about uh, meeting this mysterious man. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Jacoby takes a coconut from uh, a <laughs> fake tree. Of course he does. <laughs> this is the one thing. It's the one thing in this show that actually one hundred percent makes sense. Of course he does. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and and Doctor Jacoby opens up the coconut, which it turns out is a little hidey hole for himself. And within is the other half of the heart locket that Laura Palmer was wearing, which, if you'll remember, Duncan was seen being retrieved by someone. In the pilot episode, a mysterious someone, uh, which would certainly suggest that Doctor Jacoby uh, was the man, in fact, who who retrieved this necklace. And I would say, you know, at at least implies that he has an obsession with Laura Palmer that went far beyond a doctor-patient relationship. Yeah, I would also say from the the tone of the the tape this doesn't sound like it was an obsession that was necessarily one-sided either i think there was maybe a bit of flirtatious behavior from the other side as well leading him on yeah and uh and there ends the episode that it 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 goes out with dr jacoby kind of cry laughing laugh crying (laughs) as he holds up the the other half of the uh of the necklace which he plucked from a coconut which was stuck to a fake tree in his house. Yeah. Well, (laughs) right. (laughs) I love you like, no, 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 that that is is what happened. (laughs) That that is 100% what happened, and we are not passing judgment yet. But uh, as as we uh, we will attempt to do on every episode, Duncan, at this stage of the investigation... Mm -hmm. We, uh, I feel like we have somewhat cleared James. Yes. 
Uh, Bobby is looking less and less likely as a suspect, though he is certainly into some shady shit. Yeah, I think we we can say that Bobby didn't do it because why would Bobby hurt his chances to get his ten thousand dollars back to hand to Leo? So yeah, so I think I think that gives them enough of an alibi not to have done it, I, or or less motive to do it. I agree, and and also I think it goes back to you know Bobby's innate narcissism that yeah. you know why would he kill the homecoming queen that is his girlfriend you know and this is of course prior to him knowing that she was uh sleeping around on him a little bit but um yep. yeah so i i think bobby is, is fairly in the clear mm-hmm. uh i the two big suspects in my mind duncan are leo who had a bloody shirt that is unaccounted for Yep, Leo does not have a, a name with the letter J, but we'll, we'll keep him in. Leo Johnson. Oh fuck! So as yeah. Johnson, I, the Johnsons, right? That's right. So, so Leo Johnson, yeah, he's well, he has a bloody shirt. So yeah, we've got to consider him probably number one with a bullet at the moment. But the final scene where we <laughs> we see Doctor Jacoby and his obsession with Laura certainly plants him firmly on the list of of potential suspects and. Maybe doesn't make him as likely as Leo at this moment. Because... He's a person of interest, though. Oh, like, for sure. Definitely. He's well up the list of people of interest because we we already had that weird encounter in episode one where he was like, that parents didn't know him. You know, don't tell her parents that she was seeing me. Um, but he was very forthcoming with the fact that he was treating her, which... You know, was I, I get the feeling was him covering his ass, um, like you, you or oh, your FBI. Oh, by the way, I was a psychiatrist. Um, yeah, but don't tell our parents. Um, and now we see him further on, uh, visibly upset, laugh crying, um, as he listens to her voice uh, with half of the necklace. So, and the fact that he stole that half of the necklace as well puts him right up there for me as well. Yep. So we have uh, two major suspects in the case of Laura Palmer. Um, anybody else that you can think of that you would point to and say, like, this person is, is based on the information we has, have received thus far is a prime suspect other than the mysterious crouching man at the foot of the bed? No. No, at this point, we, we've really we went from a town full of potential suspects. And in this episode, we've really narrowed it down to two. Um, and it's, which is very, very quick that they've done that, but at the same time, this is only episode two. Right. And of three episodes, as we know, uh, all the answers will be given in episode three. <laughs> oh, wait, just the opposite. No. Um, <laughs> episode three, ladies and gentlemen. We'll, we'll get there, but just to tease you a little bit, is probably... It's probably the most Lynchian episode of the yes. first few. Yes, yeah, the one that that really like if if at this point you were like that, right? This is done by David Lynch, but you know that if, there are certain things in here that you know it could have been done by anyone. Um, that is not what happens in the next episode uh, because we had a different director on this one. Um, Dunham, I think, directed yep. episode two. Episode three is directed by David Lynch, and you will know we. Um, uh, if we're going to tease anything out, uh, I think the, the thing we want to tease is the Red Room, and we'll say no more about it. But yeah, it's pr- it's up there. It's one of the most lynching things that's ever been. This is the the template for 
for for nightmares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like this episode in particular is very much moving the plot forward, and yeah. and and you know uncovering some of the things about Laura Palmer and and so forth. Um, w- once you get to the third episode, that is much more a psychological, subconscious kind of narrative. Um, yeah. But we'll get there. We'll get there. We're not going to spoil that. So, um, Duncan, that yes. is the end of this week's investigation. Thank you, as always, for joining me as we delve into the murder of Laura Palmer mm-hmm. and, uh, and the other mysteries of Twin Peaks. Any Anything else you would like to say to the listeners before we duck out of this thing? I just thanks very much for the response to episode one. Um, I got a couple of people online getting in touch with me, just telling me that they were thoroughly enjoying it. They were looking forward to seeing where we go with this. Some people that are starting it up for the first time. Some people that are actually going back to watch it, even though they watched it recently, which is incredible. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to this one. This got me really, really, really excited. And I know we both said that season two is a bit wackadoo, I believe is the, the phrase that we- we're currently using for that one yeah uh, wildly inconsistent but at the moment right now we're in we're in uh, some damn fine tv um and i can't wait to get into more of it excuse me damn fine tv um damn fine tv but yeah so yeah I, to echo what duncan said thank you all for listening and and oh boy does it do my heart good to hear that people are watching the show for the first time and kind of following along with us uh yeah that's wonderful, and and we will do our level best, Duncan aside, uh, to not spoil <laughs> stuff coming up. You son in, of a bitch. At, hey, was I the one talking about Leo? No, but you did ruin James for everyone. I don't think that's true, and even James himself, were you here, would say, Oh, nice! Um, and I, I appreciate uh, the sentiment. Um so, folks, if you're listening to the show on uh, iTunes or Stitcher, whatever vehicle you use to uh, receive the show, uh, if you would leave us a, a rating review, it's always appreciated. Um, if you know someone who has never seen Twin Peaks or, or might enjoy uh, sort of a, a serial look at that series, then uh, by all means, uh, give them the suggestion. We would certainly appreciate it. Um, and thank you, uh, as always, for listening, because we I, I can't speak for Duncan here. But I am having a blast talking about Twin Peaks. Uh, it is the more I, I rewatch this show, the more I think it's better than I remembered it. Yeah, it's incredible coming back to it. Um, and I watched it recently as well. I watched the whole thing just over a year ago. Um, but I think it's because I'm like it has my full attention because I know I'm reviewing it. So once you start like noticing everything, you start picking up things that you never picked up before. And yeah. It's, it holds up really, really, really well for a show this age. You yeah. know what I mean? It really, really, really well. At the moment, anyway, it holds up incredible. So, Yeah, for a show that's closer to 30 years old than 20, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it sure it sure does leave a, an impact still. And all the... Which, to my credit, I don't think I've used the word weird once in this episode yet, so I saved it for this moment. The weirdness <laughs> of this show, uh, coupled with... The, the the sense of humor and the subtle sexiness of it just mm-hmm. it, it it blows me away. I like I, I like I said every time I watch one of these episodes for the show, it it surprises me that it's as good as it is. Yeah, um, 
And oh man, that next episode, listeners, next week. Ooh. Oh, oh. <laughs> as Bobby, not Bobby, as James would say, episode three, good. Um, <laughs> oh, no, look, that's a pretty good impression, listeners. You let Duncan know. You don't even have to tell me. You just email message Duncan. And let him know what, <laughs> what you think about the James impression. And, yeah, uh, don't don't let Bo know what you really think of it. <laughs> I really don't. You'll upset him. Yeah, I, I kind of live my life in that Florence Foster Jenkins bubble. Uh, where <laughs> you grant uh, oddly enough is constantly following around keeping press out of my out of my face um <laughs> all right folks thank you again for listening all that's left is is, is to say good night duncan good night everyone good night out a different path led by a beating heart all the people of the town cast their eyes right to the ground and matters of the heart the night was all you had you ran into the night from all you had found yourself a path upon the ground you ran into the night you can't be found but this is your Sights.